Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Stuskit. We join you today from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln South Central Ag Lab, which is near Clay Center. We do so to bring you this direct coverage of their field day in order to give you the most up-to-date information when it comes to making decisions out in your fields. Before we get to the special guests from this year's field day, we're going to get an update out in the field with Tyson Narges from Sydney, Nebraska to see how wheat harvest is coming along in his region of the Cornhusker State. Tyson, thanks so much for joining us here from the Combine Cab. I want to, I guess I'm curious as we toss this over to you, how's the yield coming in on those uh, fields that you're harvesting right now? Well, you know, after a few disappointing years, uh, last year turned out to be one of the poorest years in my career. Uh, we had a lot of frost damage and drought uh, that severely hindered yields. Uh, but let's not talk about the past anymore because this year's crop, uh, although it may have came out of winter in pretty poor shape, is doing very, very well. So the acres that did make it through the winter months and do well uh, are yielding quite well. And we're kind of seeing uh, yields in that 40 to 70 bushels per acre range. And after talking to a couple of the elevators, that's kind of what they're hearing as well. So okay. yields are good and uh, we're really excited about this year's crop. All right, Tyson, I mentioned you guys out in the panhandle out by Sydney. You've been dodging hail left and right, it seems like. Did any hail hit your wheat crop this year? There's been a lot of streaky hail. Uh, I guess when we have as much rain as we have this spring, uh, it's just inevitable that we're going to have some hail damage. And so you find some areas that have some severe hail uh, damage to it and then others that uh, a lot of it had a little bit, but uh, obviously these yields aren't really reflecting what the true damage was. So. There are spots that uh, they lost quite a few acres, but uh, by and large, most acres look pretty good uh, with just minimal damage. damage. Mm -hmm. All right, that's on the wheat front, Tyson. How about your corn crop? You shared some photos on online. Looks like some of your fields got hit pretty good. Right, so it's kind of interesting. There was one streak of hail that hit quite a few acres, and I initially, just like every farmer goes out and looks at it and kind of writes off some of its potential. And uh, the best thing you can do is just walk away and come back in six, seven, eight days to see what it looks like. And out of the, the acres that were hailed, uh, most of it made a fairly swift recovery. And I don't believe that we're going to have much of a yield drag because of it. Uh, now, we do have one certain area that Voyager it pummeled it and it killed a lot of the, the population. And I don't expect those acres to really produce much. But but for the most part, I am really surprised how well that that corn bounced back and you know, I always said that uh, wheat's got more lives than a cat, and I guess I never really gave corn much of a credit. And maybe this gives me a little more hope that corn's a little sturdier than what I first thought. Yep, that is true. Well, Tyson, tell me a little bit about your rotation. What are you going to do with those wheat acres after harvest? Move them into a corn rotation? Right. So a lot of the acres in this area, you kind of have to be selective. Uh, you know, there's always the talk of putting in cover crops. And everyone has this negative connotation of what fallow does to uh, ground. Uh, but like I, I mentioned before, with our moisture regime at 12 to 14 inches, we have to conserve water. Uh, every last drop counts. Uh, so on our farm, uh, we found that uh, a rotation that really works for us is uh, winter wheat. And then next year, most of those acres will go to dryland corn. And then we follow it with uh, proso millet. And then we do have a fallow year. So the traditional 
uh, rotation of wheat fallow, uh, by and large, has really gone kind of gone away, and everyone's kind of got a rotation put together, and that one just works really well for us. All right, Tyson, we sure appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, as you do from the cab there. Hope you have a good and safe harvest for the rest of the year. Well, as I mentioned at the top of this week's show, we are on location at the Scow Field Day out here near Clay Center, Nebraska. Of course, as the heat continues to turn up across the state, insect populations also seem to be following suit. So joining us now to discuss what kinds of pests producers are dealing with right now is Ron Seymour, Nebraska Extension Educator. You gave a presentation out here, able to field questions from producers. That's the fun part. We'll talk about what they're seeing in the field in a moment, but Japanese beetles, we see lots of those this time of year. Yeah, we really do, particularly in, uh, well, both in corn and soybeans. I've been getting so many calls from homeowners with them in their trees and things like that. But of course, we're talking about them here in our crops. And I was talking specifically about Japanese beetles and other defoliators in soybeans. And um, they can be a real problem sometimes. And uh, so Japanese beetles are pretty new to a lot of farmers here. So they're still kind of learning about what they're doing to their field. And, how to look, what to do about them. And so we're trying, trying to find, give them some background information and then actually get them out in the crop and take a look and see what's going on. Part of it is reaching a threshold, right? Yes. What's that threshold this time of year as our soybeans continue to grow? Well, so, you know, a lot of our, thresh, uh, our soybeans are in the reproductive stage right now. And so when we're looking at defoliators overall, it's a 20% defoliation. And understand about defoliation, it's, it's kind of hard to estimate. Yeah. Everybody thinks it looks worse than it is. And so we're trying to instruct folks, right? You have to look at the right way look throughout the canopy, you know, estimate these. I actually handed out some cards okay. for people to use as a reference so that they can use those to do a good job of estimating defoliation, not only from Japanese beetles, but all kinds of other insects that would be out there. There's a lot of defoliation on the outside of the field or does it make it way to the inside too? Yeah, it, uh, it kind of depends a little bit on the species. A lot of these Japanese beetles and grasshoppers start out on the outside of the field where they've been overwintering, move in, and then they can keep going into the field. And so we like farmers to take a look early so that they can see what's happening on the edge of my field. Maybe I can just spray the edge of the field, not the whole field, and keep them from moving in further. And so it's really valuable for them to do that outside look first. So that's Japanese beetles. Yes. What else did you share with producers out here? Well, when I was out here last week, I um, just checking to see what the situation is. I did find some Dectes stem borer or soybean stem borer. And this is a little beetle that will lay eggs on the stems and then they get inside the, the larvae get inside the stem, feed on the stem. At the end of the season, they go to the base of the plant, weaken the plant and cause it to fall over. And so we want people to, be, to recognize that now's the time to be looking for those and see what, how many you have, see how much damage. And then you can plan on harvesting a little differently to be able to manage those. Okay, you are also doing some trials out here. I understand some different yeah. research when it comes to insects. Well, yeah. What is that research? Yeah, so actually it's Dr. Bob Wright okay. who's doing those and uh, his technician Terry DeVries. And one of the things they were looking at is insecticides on controlling some of these defoliators. And they had some new things that they were looking at, some established things. They all look pretty good. And so that was a good thing. And the other thing that they're looking at is using pheromone traps or scent traps to attract stink bugs. <laughs> so that you can sample those without going out into the field. Pretty handy. I like to it. To be able to do that. <laughs> and so stink bugs, they suck fluids out of the plants and they're a real problem when they're sucking fluids out of 
the pods and damaging the seeds. And so we talked about stink bugs, which ones we commonly have here, how to look for them, and what the thresholds are on those as well. Okay, real quick, want to get your thoughts. Any other uh, topics producers brought to you they're curious about right now? So, yeah, they're really interested in these Japanese beetles. Mm -hmm. and What are they doing not only in soybeans, but in corn? And so they were talking about that. We were talking about different control methods for um, these Vecti stem borers. It's a real problem. And so they're trying different things and just questions about those kinds of things. Good chance to come out of the field day and ask those questions. Ron, we appreciate you joining us here on Market Journal. If you'd like to learn more, the best website to do so is by visiting cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, it is now time, that time of the program, where we turn our attention over to the markets. And this week, we are pleased to be joined by Doug Simon from Trados. Here is my conversation with Doug from Wednesday afternoon. Well, let's talk about the latest in the markets, and uh, I guess to do so, talk about the condition, the ratings coming out from USDA each week. I know you track that number pretty closely. What did this week show? Monday, they, came, they were down two points on both the corn and the beans, and expectations they'd be down one to three. So it was kind of in the middle of that. Uh, the corn was uh, down at 55% uh, good to excellent. The soybeans were at 52 uh, so that's, you know, you look back at 2012, that was uh, kind of a low mark in, in history. So this crop is still very poorly rated, but as we were talking a little bit earlier, we've had a tremendous amount of rain here lately and the crop now looks a lot better in a lot of places. So I think there's gonna be a lot of questions, you know, when we go into the WASDE report, you know, what's USDA gonna do, you know, based on their kind of observations, you know, on the crop conditions, uh, what, their, what their phone surveys are gonna say. Uh, but yeah, the, the crop definitely dropped a couple points, even though we had some of those rains here in the last, you know, basically in the last month. Lots of question marks here. I'll talk, you, talk to you about the WASDE coming up here in a second. But last week on the program, we talked about the latest developments in the Black Sea. That continues to be an evolving story today. What's important for producers to know? Well, the, they've continued to, they've shut down the Black Sea agreement, and then but Russia continues to attack Ukrainian assets. Um, and then Ukrainians are also attacking Russian assets. So the question is, this week, are they gonna retaliate against the Russian port that's still open and could mess that up? So there's still debate about that, that this thing could es escalate. But you know, wheat prices have been falling this week. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of wheat that has made its way out of Ukraine by truck and train going through Poland or through uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. Uh, same thing with corn. Um, and there's actually, you know, wheat that's being imported to the eastern U.S., you know, because of the thought that we were going to be really short of wheat. And so that's actually pressured our basis here in the last week on the, the wheat side of it. You know, probably about 30 cents on a local market. We fell from somewhere 45 over to, you know, 15 over. So it fell pretty hard this week because of that wheat. And so there's, there's enough wheat kind of still flowing, even though there's a lot of talk about the, the war going on over there. It's like in the old days when oil would flow out of some of these countries that finds its way to the people that need it. So. so talk to me a little bit more about that. Why did that wheat come here to the U.S.? Is there not enough U.S. suppliers? The U.S. supply too expensive? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think they can buy it cheaper out of there. There's a big discount, you know, even, you know, with the war going on and the shipping costs or anything like that, they can buy it cheaper. But yeah, I think, and some of it's coming from mills. There's actually mills down in, in Florida, you know, that can go probably buy it in there that, gets processed and probably ships in the local markets, but also probably in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. you might guess. So largely the logistics issue, you know, logistics costs, you know, are, you know, they are that often 
take advantage, try to buy it as cheap as they can wherever they can. So. Let's talk a little bit about the the new crop, corn and soybeans here in the U.S. I'm sure you're having lots of conversations on the daily with producers wondering what, what's the best thing to be doing this year with this unique marketing year, I guess. What are your thoughts uh, you want to share with us right. today? Just when you think of the big picture, like how do we think about marketing and wanting to be a kind of a price maker instead of a price taker, we always think about pre-harvest marketing. So over the last year, we looked at, you know, like if there's opportunities over, you know, relative to where we've been. I mean, we were last summer, we were, actually it was last spring in that $6 to 680 range. So it's like, okay, what if we're going to be selling ahead, we ought to be looking at taking an increment. Why don't we sell 5, 10, you know, 15% of new crop when you've got prices that are over $6. And, and then another filter kind of came in, you know, later in the summer when people were looking at locking in anhydrous, which people are doing the same right now. So it's kind of triggered that conversation about what are my break-evens, you know, where should I be selling? But if you're gonna go buy, say, anhydrous, which today is probably half of what it was last year, you should probably be looking at, if you're gonna buy the anhydrous, look at what it's gonna cost you, but then sell an equal increment of corn to go along with that so that you kind of protect that. And what happened last year is even though you bought the anhydrous a little bit higher prices in August, it went down sort of the corn prices, but at least you had some of that corn locked in at that price where you paid for the anhydrous. Now that we're half the price and people are looking at break-evens for next year, we're seeing some of the most, some of the best break-evens we've seen in multiple years. And so, you know, to, you know, for 515 on D 24 corn, and we've been 550 here recently, that would trigger a spot, okay, if I'm gonna be a pre-harvest marketer, I should be looking at D 24 corn and taking advantage of that opportunity as well. So then, then you kind of get into the marketing year, you know, somewhere between February and June, which when we have our insurance prices, we know June tends to be higher than we do in the fall. So you want to be selling increments in that time frame. You want to be hitting increments. So today we're at five dollar corn, but you know, from a if you're going to be an active pre-harvest marketer, we've had multiple opportunities to do some things so we avert, you know, five dollar corn. And you know, there's opportunities of strength, so you want to be selling in that time frame. So that's what we've been really thinking a lot about in terms of future price over time. But we're also now again ramping up what we're thinking about 2024. Well, let's stick on this year, particularly. I'm curious your thoughts on old crop. Is there much old crop that's unsold at this point across the countryside? You corn know, and soybeans. It's getting pretty low at this yeah. point. It's yeah. You know, there's not a lot around. Not a lot around that I'm seeing. And, but it seems like we do get low rallies. There's corn that comes in and hits the market. So. Uh, there probably seems to be maybe a few more beans around because the basis is you know falling quite a bit. Last year we were about a buck eighty over at Columbus. Right now we're seventy five over, so we're not as strong. But we don't have the export market that we had last year. Our exports are zilt right now on the corn side of it. Um, those should start to improve over a little bit of time here because of the loss of Ukrainian exports and that capacity over there. Not only their capacity but production. So that should I think improve a little bit. But I don't think we're going to see the basis that we saw last year. But that's from the other aspect of our marketing for 2023. So we don't like to go and set basis ahead of time. We're usually setting futures. Now we're looking here during August at prices here for harvest delivery and what are those basis opportunities. And China's been buying a lot of beans. Even though bean prices have fallen from that 1440 level now back towards you know 1320 today, we our basis opportunities are really going to be coming up here. We're here in the next couple of weeks as all those buyers out west, those trains try to load trains to go to the PNW. So hopefully we'll see some competition between like the Lincoln Fremont type market versus those Western markets. So, and then also we're looking forward to next year. We're going to have those new, uh, excuse me, those new soybean plants mm -hmm. up in David City and North Fork, which would be even better for our bean bases out here. Some new opportunity or new crap opportunities. It sounds Absolutely. like on the horizon, right? Absolutely. Okay, Doug. Yeah. Final word quickly to you. What else you want to leave us with today? Again, we're just spending a lot of time really working with our farmers and looking at those 
kind of harvest logistics and harvest, you know, where, what basis, how much we're going to move off the combine, looking at what kind of carries are in the market, and then, you know, how are we going to actually merchandise this crop now that we've done a lot of marketing on the, the existing crop already on the, the future side of it, looking for basis opportunities. The WASD report, that's going to release next week, August 11th. What's the most important set of numbers you'll be watching when that comes out? I think the big thing will be U.S. corn yield, U.S. soybean yield. Because of the crop conditions being so low, I mean, we're looking at the net, you know, kind of vegetation indexes to see where the holes are in this crop. I think there's a lot of question by a lot of people about what that yield's going to be. I have some indication because those crop conditions are so low, just by kind of the beauty pageant, you know, kind of rule, they might drop, they could drop at another four bushels, which would take us down to like a 170, from 177 down to maybe a 173, somewhere in there. But when you look at that, that puts carryout still to about a 1.9 billion bushel carryover, which is still pretty abundant back in the kind of the scope of where we were in 2013 through 2019. The only thing going on in the world right now is that the world balance sheet's, a, you know, two or three, four points tighter than what we were in that time frame. The U.S. balance sheet's kind of similar, but the world number's a little bit tighter. Even though we had a big Brazilian corn crop last year, um, and, you know, so we have seen that Brazilian corn basis, it was absolute disaster, and it's really firmed up in the last month. So we're becoming a little more competitive with the Brazilians, but that whole yield thing is really going to be what people are going to focus on. Good stuff there with Doug. We sure appreciate his time and expertise here on the program. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Darren Newsom. If you have a question you'd like me to ask Darren, be sure to email us or get in touch with us on social media early next week, and I'll pass your questions along. Well, County Fair Week is always a big deal for those of us here in Nebraska. For many, County Fair time can be like a big family reunion where you can catch up with friends all across the county. For others, it's the culmination of a lot of hard work through 4-H and FFA project. A lot of those have been in the works for over a year now. But planning and executing a County Fair takes more than just a week. It takes lots of organizers working all year long to help pull it off. You can get all the inside look, behind the scenes, details when it comes to planning a County Fair. You can do so by reading the August issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What well, is time now to get a quick check when it comes to weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, it's been a real Chamber of Commerce week when it comes to, you know, the last week of July early here in August at this point. What is what are we looking at though when we turn to the week ahead? Well, thanks Bryce. We've gone from the sauna to some rain. Let's start off with the drought monitor for the week, which is released on Thursday morning. Some good news to report this week. We did see some improvement uh, across portions of the state. We now have about 64% of the state in drought. That's a little bit better than last week when we were at 68%. Areas that did see improvement include a broad swath of central, north central, and northeastern Nebraska, and some parts of southeastern Nebraska, including even a little two-category improvement in, in eastern Gage County. But before we had some precipitation last week, we did have some heat. So for the week, in, week ending uh, July 30th, which would be last Sunday, we did have maximum temperatures averaging over 95 degrees across a broad portion of southwestern Nebraska. And we had several days last week where temperatures were 104 to 107, kind of between McCook and Hebron. So across the country, we've had a very strong ridge that, you know, last week was a little bit further north, this week this place a little bit further south. So most of the state was actually in a favorable position for precipitation, and some places had lots of precipitation. So taking a look at mesonet totals, uh, except with the exception of the very far northeast, most places picked up some precipitation, and it looks like the big winner to me was this 3.33 at Firth, which most of that fell last Saturday morning. I'm talking about Firth because I want to highlight their soil moisture. So a lot of that rain came very hard and very fast. The good news, though, is taking a look at their soil moisture data, 
is that there was actually really, really good response at all depths. So this is the first time at 50 and 100 centimeters that we actually have seen really strong improvement this summer. So that's a really good sign going into August. So uh, areas that did see lots of precipitation in the last seven days, even the heavier kinds, it looks like at least some portion of that actually went to the ground. It was very helpful. Taking a look at soil moisture across the country, um, based on percentiles, most of the states kind of add or where we should be for this time of year. Not so good across parts of Iowa and Minnesota where they are in drought or drought is worsening. In terms of vegetation update, again, uh, things are kind of looking pretty good across parts of southeastern Nebraska. The areas that are really indicating is being struggling here according to VegDry, uh, kind of just kind of between Grand Island and York. Some of that's hail damage. And again, pretty good conditions as we get out here into the Panhandle, north central Nebraska, where we've had really good precipitation uh, for most of the spring and summer. What we're looking at here in the next several days is an area of low pressure that should actually first move north and then straight east and right along the South Dakota, North Dakota border. We are going to be in a favorable position for getting thunderstorms uh, on Sunday. Uh, we could actually have some severe storms, so just pay attention to your local forecast, especially the eastern half of the state, we could see some severe weather and some heavier precipitation events. Moving a little bit uh, down the road, it looks like we are going to be cooler for a little while. So the six, a day, six to 10 day temperature outlook is fairly, relatively cool. We also are looking at uh, relatively wet conditions, probably persisting. It's not going to rain every single day, but I do think we're going to see about every three or four days chances of precipitation coming in, mostly moving from the northwest to the southeast. Again, eight to 14 day temperature outlook, pretty cool. And again, above normal precipitation. So in general, I would say this is a favorable forecast for August. Now, I want to take a, just a quick look at where we might be going for El Nino in terms of autumn. And these are other years where we started El Nino. These are the precipitation anomalies. So again, our area is relatively wet. And there is a very strong signal toward having a cooler fall with this year, if this verifies. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We do appreciate it. Finally, today would not be a field day without a bit of discussion when it comes to crop diseases. So joining us now here at the South Central Ag Lab is Tanro Jackson Zims, fresh off your presentation talking about corn diseases. Hot one right now. A lot of people want to know about tar spot. What are you seeing out in the fields, Tamara? Well, you know, tar spot's been confirmed in Nebraska now, and in fact, in 31 counties in the extreme eastern part of the state, we do expect that to continue to move west further into the state. And so uh, on that western fringe, you know, it's as far west as uh, Knox and, uh, let's see, Merritt County. We'll, we'll continue to see that move west as temperatures and weather conditions are favorable. It likes the cool, wet conditions. Uh, that includes under our pivots. And so um, right now we're not seeing a lot except in the extreme southeast corner down in that Richardson County area, there's quite a bit in some places. What can we do about it this time of year? That's always the big question, right? That's harder. So at this point, you know, when you see it during the season, fungicides, foliar fungicides are the only thing we can do to react to this disease. But the good news is based on data from our colleagues east of us, they know that there's a number of products that do a very good job managing tar spot and especially those products that have two or three active ingredients from different classes or modes of action. They can do uh, a very good job controlling it, if, especially if applied at VT and later R2, also up to that point, we know can be effective. 
but in most cases, a single application is gonna be enough. And most people early in this uh, disease epidemic, they aren't gonna need, uh, they aren't gonna need a fungicide application. Mainly we wanna document where it's at in the state to make sure people know about it and how to identify it. And so if you're out in the cornfield and you see a black dot on a leaf, try to rub it off because this fungus won't rub off. Most things that cause black dots or insect insect frass, for instance, and a few other things. And so if they need help, I hope they'll send samples to our diagnostic clinic or ask someone in extension to help them. Yeah, always a great resource out there. I'm particularly excited out here at the field day. You get to show people what's happening in the fields. You brought a couple <coughs> examples of, of what's happening across Nebraska. We, what do you have for us today? <laughs> well, we did. There's always something going on in the fields, and we always have some diseases out there. And so this time of year, uh, especially here this year, we're seeing a lot of bacterial leaf streak, for instance. And that's not a new disease for us, but this year seems to be uh, worse in some fields, especially irrigated fields. And so uh, bacterial leaf streak is one we've been watching since about 2016. And so uh, those irregular lesions are wavy. And if you hold them up to the sun and backlight them, you might notice it might have a yellow discoloration. And they start at the bottom of the plant, usually working their way up. But often after a thunderstorm, you'll see a lot of small lesions suddenly show up in the upper canopy. Uh, on some hybrids, they look like gray leaf spot though, and that's caused by a fungus that can be controlled by a fungicide. And so that's why it's important we know how to tell them apart. And so compare the rectangles of gray leaf spot to the wavy lesions of bacterial leaf streak. Well, let's go back to in time as we bring up your second sample. 1969 was the year Dawson County, Nebraska, Goss's wilt is discovered. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that. There's a lot of history here in Nebraska and bacterial diseases, but you know, this year we are seeing a little bit of Goss's wilt too, or Goss's bacterial blight. And these are in fields like many people have had that have been impacted by hail this year. Hail or high winds or sandblasting, any kind of wounding will predispose plants to infection with this bacterium. And so looking for freckles on these lesions, and uh, that's probably the biggest thing to look for. And they're large and wavy and often near the edges or the damage. So that's something to make sure and keep selecting resistant hybrids for in the future. All right, well, I'm gonna give you the final word this week. What else are you seeing on the fields you want our viewers to be aware of today? Well, we, we wanna make sure as we uh, get into the later part of the season, things will get worse as the conditions become more humid. Watch out for those diseases, send samples to the diagnostic clinic to get help on them. And please help us document where you're seeing tar spot in the state, going to the corn.ipm pipe website and CropWatch for more information. Well, of course, give the CropWatch uh, website again, but what was that other website you want people to be aware of? So the corn IPM pipe website is where we track not only tar spot and southern rust, but some other diseases. It's a great resource. And also the Crop Protection Network is a great place to go for more information. Good stuff. Tamara, great to have you here in person at the field day. We appreciate your time. Thank you for your interview and good luck to everybody in the field. It is our pleasure and a beautiful day out here at the South Central Ag Lab as we do market journal out here in the field. Well, I want to remind our viewers, we mentioned at the top of the show, if you're interested in learning more, keeping up with all the things happening out in the field, the best website to do so to bookmark is CropWatch unl.edu. That is all the time we have out here at the South Central Ag Lab. You're again located not far from Clay Center, Nebraska. We hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Bryce Tuskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. 
Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.